Hello and welcome to the Digital Digest, your weekly data centers and telecoms news roundup podcast published every Friday, brought to you by Capacity and Data Economy. I'm your host, Editor-in-Chief Ron Marks Lima, and with me I have our Editor-at-Large Alan Burkett-Gray and Senior Reporter Abigail Opier. This week, we are also joined by not one, but two special guests. First off, Carl Roberts, partner at Dara Consulting and Chairman of for the Capacity Global Carrier Awards 2020, and George Emilios, Capacity Senior Product Developer and Supervisor for the Global Women in Tech and Telco Awards 2020. And before we chat to our guests um, about these two special award events, in this week's podcast, we look at how the internet has been coping during the COVID-19 pandemic, TikTok's plans to build a $500 million data center in Ireland, Amazon's cloud business AWS's plan to, to build three potential data centers in Israel, and the latest moves across Africa in the data center market. And first up, um, Alan, this will be with you. Um, so let's talk about disruptions to the internet. Um, so since the lockdown started, we have seen an unprecedented rise, um, according to a study published by Thousand Eyes, a research company owned by Cisco. Um, in fact, internet outages have risen about 63% as the pandemic spread. And in a different report from cable.co.uk, um, they found that the COVID-19 pandemic has hit broadband speeds across the world, with some countries seeing speeds fall by 40 to 50 percent. Um, I mean, this doesn't sound very good, Alan. What, um, it, it doesn't, Charles, and, it, it, and it's, I suppose it's a good way of doing a, a global analysis of what's going on, and both of these, I think, are, are using automatic data collection, so it's actually hopefully real. It's rather than people recording experiences in their diary. I suppose, you know, for a lot of us, we've had a really good experience. I mean, I've touched wood. I'm not going to tempt BT uh, live, but uh, on the whole, I have had very few problems with my internet connection since March. Uh, certainly once I improved my Wi-Fi at home. Uh, but there's the Thousand Eyes report. This is a um, company that monitors the internet and, and Cisco bought it only a few weeks ago. Um, and it started something called the Internet Performance Report just counting disruptions and they've gone up 63% in March over January so in, in a three-month period uh, and they've gone up and they stayed up right through the first half of 2020. Um, uh, in June for example so two months ago there were 44 more disruptions than were recorded in January so basically it went up really steeply in March but dropped down a bit but still stayed about 44% up on the base level in January pre-pandemic. So it looks like it's been really stressed. Uh, it looks also like the uh, ISPs um, did much worse than data centers. Um, Thousand Eyes also looked at uh, data center performance and uh, cloud cloud, cloud uh, performance, and they stayed relatively stable. Uh, it was obviously variable across the world. Um, the largest spikes for ISPs were in North America and the Asia Pacific region. North America uh, problems went up 65% compared with January and Asia Pac, which is a, a huge area and a very diverse area, and you must remember it has something like two thirds of the world's population, so it's hardly a region. Um, it went up 99%, so it, almost, it virtually doubled compared with January. So uh, they've gone back down again. They're better now than they were, but I think they're still, the problem is they're still higher. Uh, Europe. Actually, in Europe, we're here in Europe, we've done fairly badly. It went up 45%, so about the global average, uh, but then it stayed up. So 
we're not very good record for us Europeans. Uh, the other report was on speeds, so it's it's related. Different company. This is coming from the raw data comes from MLab, which is a, a Google associate based in California, and uh, it's been gathered together from the raw data by uh, a UK based company called Cable.co.uk, um, and it found that China. Uh, internet speeds, average internet speeds fell by about 51%, and Panama 50%, Madagascar 37%, Chile, Peru also about 37%. They were the worst in the world, uh, so speeds have come down. Um, speeds in the US actually went up by 3.3%, uh, and that may well be that perhaps um, uh, various, you know, Companies came in. T-Mobile, for example, beefed up its operation. Uh, Verizon and AT&T both speeded up their uh, 5G infrastructure deployments. So, but it's very again very patchy across the world. Uh, speeds went down by about 25% in Finland, 10% in Austria and Italy, uh, so on. It's it's very diverse sort of set of results. But it, on the whole, everybody's had. Worst, worst performance than they were getting before the pandemic. Carl, I don't know what you think of that, what your experience has been. Well, look, uh, I have to say my, my personal experience has been really, really good. Uh, and not just uh, where I'm sitting, where it has been extremely good, but everybody I've interacted with on Zoom, um, almost without exception, has had a very positive experience. Uh, I think I think that um, that report uh, that you uh, you commented on is really interesting. Uh, I think it's important to have people looking at these numbers. But I think also we need to take a few things into consideration. First of all, this is probably the ultimate stress test you could have made for any kind of infrastructure. Uh, and what you need to map against all these outages and speed impacts is the orders of magnitude of increase in usage. It's gone anywhere from 30 to 50 percent to, you know, four to five times, depending on where you are. And, uh, yeah, I think, and also different, yeah. different, it happens in different places. We're all sitting out in the suburbs uh, using yeah. the Internet there. Instead of just watching Netflix in the evening, we're using it quite extensively through the day for recording this sort of thing and Zoom and Teams. And I, yesterday I did about six meetings almost back to back across the day. Yeah. Video, which I, we wouldn't have done you know, even in January, um, never mind yeah. uh, last year. I, absolutely. So I'm, I'm sure that when uh, you know, networks were designed for, let's say, normal old world residential use, uh, it was far from anybody's minds that uh, residential use would become an extended part of uh, uh, a VPN, essentially, for, uh, for customer networks. So so I think you know, we need to take those things into consideration. I think it is very useful to have this data because as people plan networks going forward, as we all know, work patterns and work locations will change. Um, there's, there's going to be more home working. There are going to be more people moving out into the countryside and working remotely like forever. And, um, and that means that there needs to be a different view taken. And obviously, uh, fiber needs to get everywhere because um, when you look at the report, I'm sure there's areas that are still going on DSL, some fairly patchy network design and coverage. I think all of that's encompassed in the report. But if ever there was a story that says we need more fiber, we need to get more bandwidth out everywhere uh, to have uh, you know, a high performance, high bandwidth 
internet connectivity uh, as a universal service, this report gives you all the ammunition you need to say, you know what, we need to do this. I had a little rant about that last week because uh, we were talking about <laughs> fibre to the home and Telefonica's plan to put fibre to every building and office in, in Spain. And I pointed out that I'd just gone onto the OpenReach site and there were no plans to fibre. I've just got fibre 200 metres down the road and then it's to the cabinet and then some variant of DSL from there on some ropey 50-year-old bit of copper. <laughs> Literally 50-year-old bit of yeah, copper. But, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but that's really the point because you know, a lot of money has been spent on backbones, uh, but that only gets you to the nearest access point. And if the, the rest of it is uh, snail space, uh, uh, old connectivity, then it doesn't really help your, your user experience. So... I think uh, your big set of uh, flashing lights for everybody to rethink how um, how service to uh, formerly known as residential users evolves in the future. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I, I think Ciao. you both made like some, no. I was going to say I think you both made some really good points as well. Um, I personally I didn't really have any big problems um, with my broadband since the pandemic started. To be honest, I was 11 months without broadband before the pandemic started. So it was a nightmare with E for 11 months. Um, but that's a whole different oh, story. Oh, we're both knocking bits of BT, right? Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. Well, I think you all in the office heard a lot about my <laughs> broadband issues over 11 months. Um, but I think, yeah, I think we were going to a new age. Uh, Carl, the only thing I was going to ask you, like, have you heard of um, anything? And when I say anything, I mean in the corridors of the telco world. Have you heard of any market moves, like any players looking at maybe buying, expanding? Something as a direct answer of lessons learned over the last four months of where the world is going. Well, I think I think it's too early to say that somebody kind of woke up in March and said, "Oh, shops, mm. we really need to go and buy X." Um, I think so, uh, certainly those those thoughts are taking place in certain quarters. But I think what it has done is it, it's accelerated um, some of the transactions that were formally envisaged, they've now turned into real projects uh, because I, I think uh, people see the need um, to, from a carrier standpoint, really get more deeply involved into how to get enterprises digital quickly. Yeah. And, uh, and that, you know, there's shortcuts to that, which is uh, through the M&A route of, um, of getting capability and, and services on board which can be integrated into a broader offering. So uh, the answer is yes. Obviously, I can't say who, uh, but I, I, I think I think those are thought processes that are already underway. But what has certainly happened is a greater sense of urgency has gone into those transactions. That people say, well, you know what? It was, it was the right idea. Now we need to just get on with it. So I think there's plenty of that going on. Interesting. Uh, are you suggesting that there'll be some rather startling M&A deals coming up um, over the next few months or year, next year with big names that we all know and love or loathe? Yeah, I'd, I, I think a few few months is being optimistic because, as you all know, these deals take uh, take a long time to uh, to close. Uh, but uh, I think, look, uh, you know, carriers looking for new, across the board are looking for new capability. And those capabilities are not traditional telco services. They sit with software companies, uh, they sit with ISPs, they sit with some folks in the CPAS space. And um, 
you know, the way forward is to see how far up the value stack uh, those services can be part of um, an in-house integrated solution. And of course, the flip side of that, one thing I do think we'll see a lot of in the coming months versus years are partnerships, right? So uh, these are the commercial relationships uh, with people who have those kind of top tier services, which are really um, what everybody's using. And this will go into applications, it'll go into AI, it'll go into analytics, it'll go into um, uh, you know, the whole field that you put in that enormous banner of digital. Yeah. So I think partnerships, we will see a lot of. Interesting. Um, well, I'm sure, I'm sure we're going to be catching up a lot in the, the next few months, Carl. Um, not only on the pandemic, because there's also nicer things to talk about, <laughs> but we'll be talking about how the market evolves. Um, but for now, well, thank you, Alan uh, and Carl. Uh, and Abigail, so let's talk about data centers now. Uh, we've had quite a fairly busy week, considering that we are in August, which is typically a bit of a quiet month. Um, but this year, we're also in the middle, middle of a global pandemic, but there has not stop news coming through. Um, let's start with TikTok. So as most of you will, as most of you will know, TikTok, which is owned by the by Chinese multinational internet technology company ByteDance, is facing strong opposition from the White House when it comes to running its services on American soil. Uh, TikTok is facing a ban ordered by President Donald Trump, and consequently, the popular app is looking for other ways to keep services available in other parts of the world. With that, news broke this week that the company is planning to invest as much as $500 million in a data center in Ireland. Abigail, this is not the beginning or the end of this story whatsoever, uh, but give us, give us an update on TikTok. Yeah, so as big as big news and big announcement goes, TikTok has announced um, its plan to establish a new data center in Ireland, which will be the company's first facility in Europe. The short video app expects that the data center facility will be open and operational by early 2022. The company revealed today, actually, that the investment in Ireland is valued at approximately $500 million and it's set to create hundreds of new jobs and play a key role in further strengthening and safeguarding the protection of its users' data. The company said that Ireland already plays a key role in its expanding European operations. Prior to the launch of the data centre in Ireland, all TikTok users' data were stored in the US and backups were in Singapore. So as you mentioned um, earlier, you know, President Donald Trump, he's recently threatened to ban the app in the US. Um, and so it's just very interesting that this would probably be one of the driving factors as to why the company has decided to expand to Europe at this moment in time. So yeah, this story is very big, very huge, and just interesting to see what other expansion plans TikTok have if uh, Donald Trump does, you know, go through with his promise. Yeah, I think it does bring quite a lot of questions as well about um, how can global apps actually exist in today's world? Um, could this be the start of the end of having global apps uh, if we're going to have all these tensions within geographies? Um, we know that Microsoft, there's a lot of conversation around Microsoft potentially buying uh, TikTok's US operations. And actually, there was a price tag put forward um, this week as well. So between $10 billion to $13 billion, which is not a small price tag. Um, yeah. It is, yeah, it's definitely not small. But also, again, I mean, we've known that this um, this administration of the White House is not the biggest fan um, of Chinese providers and manufacturers. And I mean, we know they are not the biggest fans. So it'll be interesting to see what happens until the end of the year and after the November election. 
to see if this whole if everything is really going to go through um and if TikTok is going to become sort of a second huawei and people uh, governments in europe will start copying the american government um because yeah, i mean it's all very i think we've got to wait and see because i know alan you're our huawei correspondent and, and we're now having some copycat um, actions in europe with with the uk first and then potentially france next banning huawei um so i think the whole Chinese economy versus the West. It's, it's an interesting and one. And there was, there was uh, another move this morning that I read that three, which is Hong Kong owned, uh, it's already started building 5G using Huawei equipment in the UK, but now it's decided to stop that and is going with Ericsson from now on, because otherwise that you'd have to take that Huawei equipment. Well, it would have to stop installing Huawei after the end of this year and would have to replace it within seven years. So I guess it works out cheaper in the long run just to go straight to Ericsson. Yeah, would also be interesting to see um, the next industry reports that are coming out um, by around September. Uh, because there's already rumors that with everything that's been happening in the US versus Huawei, um, and then of course, the snowball effect across the world, Huawei is actually losing um, its dominance in some of, some of the markets, uh, especially in the Western world, so US and Europe. Um, so definitely let's keep an eye out for those reports in September when they come through. Um, and then, but Abigail, staying in the data center space, another story that really made our headlines this week was AWS and the company's potentially building three data centers in Israel. Now, we know that Israel is very active when it comes to technology and disruption and building apps and all those sort of things, but what do we know about these data centers? Yeah, so I actually wrote about AWS twice this week. Uh, firstly, Amazon is rumored to be in talk in the talking stage to set up data center facilities in three locations in Israel, according to a report by a company called Globes. Uh, sources that have knowledge on the matter said that the AWS data centers is set to consume around 16 megawatts each. Globe added that Amazon has been discussing with Azriel Group LTD and US company Compass. Um, I reached out to AWS, obviously, for more information because there wasn't that much um, out there. And the spokesperson came back to me and said they did not comment on speculations. That, that was almost mm -hmm. a given. Um, the company <laughs> is also reportedly expanding in Northern Virginia. That was the second story I wrote. Um, with, with the build of a large data center campus just south of Dolls Airport in Loudoun County. Um, according to um, numerous reports, it was announced at the start of the year that Amazon has purchased a plot of land in Loudoun County, Virginia, for what was said to be the company's largest data center investment. Despite no official confirmations from Amazon, it has been reported that the company has applied for fast track and planning permissions to build three new data centers in um, Northern Virginia, with the cost of the project set to reach around $200 million. Um, the data center will be developed on a 90-acre land parcel that the company acquired back in 2019. And the Washington Business Journal reported that the development will come in three phases. So three data centers in Northern Virginia, three data centers in Israel. Amazon are clearly very busy. <laughs> it's a data center for you, for me, for someone else. It's a data center <laughs> everywhere. I mean, well, Northern Virginia is the, the global capital for data centers. Um, it's yeah. the highest concentration of power and um, floor space and everything. So it's definitely interesting markets. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm probably more exciting to see would be to be those would be to see those three data centers built in Israel um, and start seeing AWS expand even more um, across the region. Um, they've been doing some movements around um, the Middle East and Northern Africa in the past few years. Um, so has Oracle, um, but it'll be interesting to see how they evolved. But you have one more story that you wanted to mention this week as well. 
quite a nice yes. one. Definitely. This one really caught my attention. I thought it was quite interesting. Um, work online communications, which I haven't ever written about before. So that was quite interesting. They're a Pan-African IP transit provider. They've selected PAC's data centre in Accra in Ghana to deploy its very first point of presence in West Africa. So the development um, and the deployment form part of Workline's plan to help build an internet ecosystem um, across the African continent. Um, Pax Accra Data Centre was initially founded by RAC Africa in 2011 and was upgraded and expanded in 2019 after Pax Data Centres acquired it um, the year before that. The facility has five submarine cables connected. Um, it houses equipments of all the major carriers and IPSs, and it's connected to all metros, all metro fibers, sorry, providers. Um, it was mentioned that the expansion marks a great milestone in the company's African development roadmap. Like, it's very nice for me to um, continuously write about uh, stories with um obviously in africa because it's like a developing market and just to see like the growth and how um, the ecosystem is being built even during the pandemic is very nice to um report about so yeah that was my last little little story for the day <laughs> no i think i think it's quite interesting i think you raise a very good point i mean we've been working with data economy for about four years now um and we have seen how the volume of stories coming out of africa has increased over the years um especially since last year um, so it's, it seems like as an emerging market seems to really be picking up and it will yeah. definitely be very interesting to see how it goes over the next two, three years. Because um, we, we do know about a lot of investments that are being made, um, some of them public, some of them not yet announced. But there's quite a few billions of dollars being invested um, across the continent. Um, so we'll definitely be keeping an eye out for all the development. But thank you, Abigail. Um, so Shao, before we, before we go yeah. on to Carl, Carl um, can I just say that we're going to take an adventure to the South Pacific next week. Uh, we're going to be, uh, my colleague Natalie, uh, who's on holiday this week, she talked about the one Polynesia cable uh, a few weeks ago, and we're actually going to talk live uh, next uh, weekend, next next week to the person who's been in charge of that project, Ranulf Scarver, so uh, who's been locked down in the South Pacific on an island because all interconnecting flights have been cancelled since March. So he's been getting on with work. So, <laughs> so, so, Alan, so Alan, you won't be going to visit the cable personally to make sure the work was well done, right? No, sadly, Carl. But fortunately, Microsoft, Microsoft Teams arms are long and they even stretch from, you know, not only Redmond to Microsoft headquarters, but right across the Pacific and right around Europe and even to you in Dubai. So, yeah. There you go. OK, so no, just, just 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 one reaction to what Abigail was saying about Africa. I think I think that's great. And uh, I think there's a, you know, a lot happening in Africa. And I think we'll see, you know, as the two Africa cable uh, literally unwinds and uh, gets um, gets put into operation. We'll probably see a lot of data centers around all of those landing stations as well. So I think the uh, the data center infrastructure across Africa is really going to get uh, a turbo boost in the um, in the coming years. So that's great. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, I mean we've seen with Africa data centers, Pax data centers, uh, Rock Center, Traco. Um, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. All of them are investing a lot of money in expanding. Um, and quite rightly, 
uh, a lot of them around um, cable landing areas. Um, but there are some also interesting projects more towards um, the, the um, inside Africa, um, so not so close to the shoreline. Uh, and there's also some projects with NASA being done um, towards the south of the continent. So there's, there's a lot of exciting things happening there. Um, but right, guys, well, with that all said, um, this week has also been big for capacity itself, because uh, it was the week where we reached the end of the nominations period for the Global Carry Awards um, 2020. In what has been an atypical year, um, as everyone knows the reason why, uh, the awards seem to drive just as much attention as it did in previous years, which is quite an accomplishment. So well done to the entire capacity team. Um, I'm happy to also be joined, of course, by Carl, which is our GCH judge chairman, um, who's, uh, who has been overseeing the nominations process since March. Um, and then, Carl, I know you've already spoken in this podcast, but thank you so much for making the time to joining us this week, um, especially such a short notice. Um, <laughs> you were with us on our third episode uh, when we launched this podcast. Uh, that was, I think, May the 14th. And at the time, we were talking about the beginning of the nominations, how things are going to go, like what we're looking for. But so much has changed since then. Um, I mean, the world has changed absolutely since then. How has the nominations period gone for you? Well, look, uh, first of all, it just seems like yesterday we were doing episode mm. three. So uh, time certainly certainly flying. Uh, look, the process, uh, as, as usual, it takes a while to crank into uh, into gear, but uh, I'm happy to say that we're going to have uh, well north of uh, uh, 200 uh, submissions. Uh, I think you know, year on year we'll be pretty much in the same ballpark. And uh, what I think is really interesting this year is that there's a, a lot of focus on innovation, whether that be from a network technology standpoint or software uh, in networks or, um, or around the edges of the networks. So a lot on innovation in the software area, which is kind of what you'd expect um, in an industry where software is playing a much larger role. Um, no surprise that uh, data centers, uh, a lot going on with the data center applications in terms of innovation, but also achievements this year. Uh, we got the usual favorites of this wholesale and marketing teams. Um, big, uh, uh, big inputs on best data and voice carriers, as one would um, would expect. And uh, clearly, uh, COVID nineteen. Uh, we we this is a new category, and evidently there have been so many great things that have happened in our, in our industry in terms of cooperation, uh, helping the community, helping governments, but especially helping businesses around the world. So one of our biggest categories this year is the best COVID-19 initiative. And uh, um, of course, we've got uh, inclusion and diversity where there will be a special award on that. And on the projects front, both terrestrial and subsea, uh, good inputs there. So really a very, very interesting uh, set of inputs. Uh, I'm delighted that we've had such, uh, such a good uptake because as you said, uh, Rightfully, Joao, this is a very atypical year and people are clearly been distracted by what's been happening with COVID, but uh, the, the awards are still there and um, uh, the quality of the inputs looks uh, looks really good so far. So we've got another couple of days. I mean, technically, uh, yesterday was the drop date, drop dead date for this, but uh, we're going to uh, let people who had a bit of a few issues completing on time another, an extra couple of days. And next week, um, 
will be handing over the submissions to the eminent panel of judges um, who are very eager and excited to uh, get, get hold of these entries and see what's in there and start judging. No, interesting. I think we're still going to have a fabulous show at the end of it. But talk us through the, the next stage of the process, so the judging process. What's going to happen? Yeah. Well, the uh, next week, the submissions will be turned over to the judges for, for, for a couple of weeks. We'll probably give them a little bit more, given the size of the entries. Um, and then uh, we will notch up the scores. And uh, if there are any ties, then we will have a, a committee of judges, a subcommittee of judges, to make the call uh, uh, to arbitrate between those that are ties. And then we will get to a shortlist, okay? And then the shortlist will be made public, and uh, and then we we go through to uh, uh, the, the last lap, which is judging who uh, who the winning entries are going to be. And Joao, you mentioned the ceremony. Uh, for sure, you know the planning is to have a a virtual ceremony. If it's good enough for BAFTAs, good enough for Oscars, we can <laughs> certainly hold up our, our end on that. Uh, but as we Kind of eternally optimistic. Uh, we're also planning for um, a you know, governments and, and the legislation permitting. Uh, if there's the possibility of having a physical in-person event to make that a safe event, and we're working with uh, a number of partners, including technology partners, to help us with that particular hypothesis. However, you know the baseline planning is for a virtual event. Uh, it's going to be memorable, however it plays out. It's going to be a memorable event, and uh, and and very very important this year because uh, you know 2020, as I've said on numerous occasions before, has been a year where you know, our industry has really been fundamental to the ongoing operation of society as a whole. And that may sound very grand, but it's actually true. I think it's inconceivable. Um, you know, even with all the outages and the speed reductions of the internet, but if it all switched off, of large chunks of it would have fallen on the floor, um, society, business, governments could not have functioned. And I think it's a tribute to the industry that uh, even with a few bumps in the road, um, you know, carriers have managed to turn up capacity, uh, customers have managed to get um, capacity installed quickly, uh, and people have scrambled and done the impossible on a daily basis since March. So this year in particular, I think uh, uh, commemorating the industry and um, you know, the leaders in the various fields and categories is extremely important, which is why our planning is to make this a very, very memorable and unique event. Which I'm sure you will. Um, and Carl, I know we will probably have you back on this podcast towards the end of August when we release the shortlist. Um, yeah. But beyond being a big advocate of the industry, as you've been for a very long time, and I think this year the industry has done brilliantly, uh, are there any other things that you'd like to tell the sector? Um, a word of hope, something related to the, to the awards? Is there any like other thoughts you would like to share? Well, there's plenty of hope here and um, as I said you know our industry has been the most resilient not not across the board because I think you know some carriers especially those heavily dependent on roaming revenues have had a tough time but um, you know all uh, you know, all carriers who have provided the service and especially those delivering cloud services clearly you know data center providers and all you had to do is listen to what Abigail had to say 
to bear that out, but you know, cloud data centers and you know, secure connectivity to there, there's a long, long future for this. And if anybody thought there's anything wrong with this industry, then they can uh, think again. Also to the point, you know, we we're talking earlier about M&A, if you look at the statistics year to date, out of all industry sectors, TMT is, is absolutely holding up its, uh, its end. Even if there are less deals uh, this year than last year, the value of those deals is higher. And it's about the only industry segment that can say that. So, you know, we're all in a good place, um, all serving you know, the communities and the countries and the industries uh, around the world. And if ever anybody needed any validation of what we do every day is valuable, this has certainly been it. So I view this you know, incredibly, uh, incredibly positively. Now the big drive is to enable massive, rapid and secure digitalization of everything. And carriers sit right front and center of that. And uh, you know, that's got to be the drive. And that's going to be a collaborative effort uh, between you know, telecommunications operators, uh, subsea specialists, uh, those formerly known as OTTs. I've given up trying to find the right word, you know, for, for those players. We all know who they are, who are significant industry players now, folks in the data centers um, and, uh, you know, if, if folks in software. So I think it's fascinating and um, I think it's, it's really, really positive. And now what we need to do as an industry is to, kind of turn the battleships around very, very quickly and all point in the right direction and see this as a huge positive collaborative effort. No, I, I totally agree. Uh, Carl Roberts, chairman of the judges panel for the GCS 2020. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, and we'll, I'm sure we're going to be in touch. And, and now I'm also equally pleased to introduce George Emilios, Capacity Senior Product Developer and Supervisor for the Global Women in Tech and Telco Awards uh, also for the 2020 edition. Uh, Georgia, thank you so much for taking the time to come and talk to us about Quitters. I believe you're actually on annual leave at the moment. <laughs> so thanks so much for that. Um, no worries. It's I know it's been Happy equally time. busy on the Quitters front um, as it's been for the GCAs. What news have you got for us? It has. Um, it's been really busy. We've had a lot of great people reach out and I'm excited to say that we will actually, um, we've looked at it again as a team and we are going to be extending our nomination period until the end of the month. Okay, that's well, I mean, so there's such a demand that actually we had to extend the deadline. That's that's cool. Um, so, but if we're going to extend the deadline, I guess we can also have new people nominating or submitting nominations. Why and how can people actually get involved in these awards? Yeah, so um, yes, so if you haven't sent a nomination yet um, and you're listening to this podcast, do so or, you know, spread the word amongst your companies um, and get other people to nominate. It is free to nominate. So um, the more the merrier, um, which also kind of brings us to why you should be getting involved. Inclusion and diversity is something that is core um, and pivotal to, well, it's been proven time and time again, just pivotal to good business, really, across the board, um, even outside of our sector. We still have a long ways to go um, as the TMT sector. Um, so it's really important that we shout about the amazing work that is being done around companies um, in, and individuals and projects that are being undertaken. Uh, we work really closely with the Global Leaders Forum um, to make, uh, to kind of work together and see how we as an industry can improve our gender diversity as well as um, 
our diversity across the other verticals as well. So um, it's really important that the more that we shout about it, the more that other companies that are looking to embark on this journey and improve their um, their stats really around inclusion and diversity, um, the more information we have out there, the more we can kind of improve together. So if you do want to get involved, you just have to head to our event website um, for the summit and we have uh, ways to nominate right above there. Uh, it's just a digital nomination. And then uh, when the nomination period closes, we then have two weeks of judging, very similar to the GCAs, after which we'll announce our shortlist and be having uh, digital awards at the end of September. Mm. Virtual, that, that sorry, good. that's what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 this year is just... Um, no, but cool. we will add a link to both the GCA's website and the Greeters website on the description of this podcast, so our listeners can easily um, visit the, the pages. Uh, and then I know you mentioned the, the virtual event in September. Can you lift the veil a little bit on what we might be doing as a virtual event? Absolutely. So for the virtual event this year, uh, because we are, well, we're not limited by physical space, which makes it really fun. So we're going to have a lot of things going on. Uh, we are looking to make it uh, more or less a 24 hour event um, so that we can make sure that, well, in the spirit of inclusion, that no one is excluded from joining um, sessions because of their time zone. So we will be having, along with the um, kind of keynote panels, looking at one specifically how how the conversation has evolved during this global pandemic and what it's highlighted for us as uh, people now working all across the globe um, in terms of how we can support our colleagues um, who, you know, now that our work life is coming into our home life um, and we're noticing all the different challenges around the globe. One, we're looking at that. Um, we're also especially looking at, and this applies for the awards as well, how we can um, increase the allyship across our industry and how we can get individuals involved. So the summit is, while it's called Global Women in Telco and Tech, it is very much um, for everyone, uh, especially including our male colleagues. So do please join. Um, and we will be running a series of workshops as well this year. That's brand new. So we've got um, career guidance and personal developing development workshops running virtually that everyone can join in. Um, so do join those for um, some increase on various skill sets that we all need. Uh, working across the industry and um, and then we'll be having the event the, the awards during the middle of the day as we said and then moving on to more sessions for our colleagues uh, further west in the later time zones oh, fascinating um i must say that allyship is not what i've ever heard before but I'm, i think i'm going to start using it <laughs> um and well please do and please become an active ally <laughs> yeah well I, I like to think that i already am <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh and I know we're also working on a lot of things um, across the, the brand, um, across our division, so tele the telecoms division at Euromoney. Uh, what other interesting initiatives um, are we planning on doing over the next few months that you would like to bring to life? Yeah, so, um, well, one thing that we're doing is we're working a lot closer with our partners this year. So that's across the industry. So we've got um, WTF that we're working with. We work with WIT as well. Um, so if you want to pop over to anything of theirs, um, they run a series of master classes throughout the year and they're always doing um, digital events. Further to that, we've got the um, special edition coming out this year, um, later this month, where we're going to have the 20 minute women to watch as well. And then further to that, we are actually looking at um, kind of releasing a series of videos throughout Gwida's. Uh, where we would have done um, various interviews and spotlights on um, some great women across the industry that should be getting involved. Um, and further to that, even across Euromoney, we are looking very much at increasing um, 
kind of with our with our conferences and with the events that we do, we're really examining our diversity and inclusion um, kind of targets and making sure that we are giving voice to um, to people across the industry. Um, so we've got a lot going on. And yeah, and if anyone in the industry listening does have any ideas, do always feel to pop um, the capacity team messages. And uh, we're working kind of across the brands with Broad Group, Lay123, Tower Exchange. So lots of cross functions going on. Awesome. Thank you so much, Georgia, for joining us um, and sharing all those insights with us. And can I blow our own trumpet, uh, Zhao? Um, yeah, go on. In, in many places, places I've worked over the last <laughs> several decades, uh, the telecoms division of your money is the most diverse place ever. I mean, it's got about, what is it, Georgia? About 60% women, 65% women or something like something that. Something like that. Yeah, yeah definitely. I know it's uh, including the senior roles, you know, CEO, CFO. <laughs> Etc. Etc. So yeah, I mean, it is just a joyful place to work with because it is so diverse. Uh, it feels like it's a an image of the world, really. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah. I think we're definitely doing much better than um, a lot of the big tech companies. Oh um. yes, <laughs> yes. All those all those pictures of their board and they're all old white men. I speak as an old white man, but there we are. <laughs> but, then, but then the Instagram would be like, we need more women. Yeah, start looking at your pictures. <laughs> um, <laughs> right, guys. Thank you so much. I think if we start going down this conversation, we we're not going to leave oh, today. Oh, we could be here for days. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you very much. With with all this said, um, that's all from me and the team, Georgia and Carl as well. Our special guest this week. Uh, thank you to our listeners at home and do join us again next week when we talk about the top stories that will make the headlines over the next seven days. In the meantime, make sure you to subscribe to both Data Economy and Capacities newsletters. And from me and the team, have a good weekend.